This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, everybody. This is Pat Pearson. I am so excited to be back with you. This is the podcast, Stop Self-Sabotage, brought to you by Hot Pie Media. And today we have one of the most fabulous women I have ever heard speak. Her name is Tiffany Norwood. You're going to meet her in a minute. And she is exceptional. And we're going to talk about the dream starts with me. Tiffany Norwood, your bio is like reading a success novel of every woman's dreams. This is about, this podcast is called The Dream Starts With Me, and you have lived your dreams. Let me give everybody the background, okay? In the 1990s, Tiffany Norwood did something that no other entrepreneur has done since. She raised over $670 million to fund a startup. She was 27 at the time. That money was used to build the first ever global digital radio platform, launched three satellites into space, including XM Radio, support the development of MP3s and MP4 technologies, and invest in a new generation of digital radio receivers. I'm so sorry you had nothing to do in your 20s. I really am. (laughs) As one of the few global serial entrepreneurs and the first successful black female tech entrepreneur. Ms. Norwood's career has spanned 52 countries, 30 plus years, seven startups, and a patent. She was the first in her family to be born with all of their civil rights. I love that line. That is a great line and and a great reality. Tiffany did her first startup as a teenager and had a patent by the age of 23. Her ventures have ranged from the first one-strap backpack to the automation technology behind self-install kits for broadband internet and a virtual reality gaming platform. She also led some of the first ever digital content licensing deals, including Bloomberg News and CNN International. Tiffany was also an early collaborator with the Frau Fraunhofer Institute and their Fraunhofer, okay, German, and their MPEG technologies. Currently, Tiffany is the founder and CEO of Tribetan. Tribetan teaches everyone entrepreneurship and innovation literacy for the success in business, school, and life with modules on persuasive storytelling, cultivated endurance. I need some of that. And how to practice, um, and how to practice uh, cultivated endurance the and the power of we. Tribetan teaches the human science of success. Venues have included the European Parliament, Yale, the, the USPTO, KMPG, Bishop McNamara High School, University of South Carolina, and the South African Embassy, and many, many more. Her dream is that the science of turning imagination into reality is as well known as reading, writing, and math. And then, with these skills, reimagine everything. She also wrote and published her first book, Vote Like a Boss, an entrepreneur's perspective on innovation, leadership, creativity, storytelling, and voting. Tiffany has an MBA from Harvard 
and a bachelor's in economics with a concentration in statistics and electrical, electrical engineering from Cornell University. You can connect with her on Instagram and Twitter at Tiffany Norwood and on LinkedIn at www.linkedin.com slash in slash Tiffany A. Oh, A. Norwood. Okay. Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. You lived it. I'm just tired reading it. (laughs) Okay. If I was born now, they call it, you know, ADHD, right? So they would have medicated it out of me. No, no, no. You just consider it, um, you know, like being a polymath or being a Renaissance woman. Exactly. I mean, you lived, you lived your dreams. Now, you know, this is about mental health. Stop self-sabotage this podcast through uh, Hot Pie Media. Um, you've done things that no other entrepreneur has done before, uh, like raising $670 million for a startup. You were in your 20s. You are a woman and black. How did yeah. that? I did it pink and I did it black, right? <laughs> Great colors together. Because I... Very at a very young age, I decided to just be fully female about it because um, for the dreams that I had, I was most likely and did achieve them if I brought my full self to it versus trying to assimilate. So I did it pink. I, I love that. Black. I love that. <laughs> Yay. How did mental Yay. health play into this? How did your mental your mental health play in it? Well, I actually think it's the reason why I was able to achieve all these things. And, you know, I broke a lot of barriers. It was before the time of social media and the Internet's popularity, um, a lot of them. And so it wasn't captured in the real moment. But if you're going to, like, be a pioneer with anything, um, the toll that it takes on you as far as your mental health, like, managing against fear, anxiety, and panic, and then you layer on top of that for anyone, right? Even for guys, um, it's just a hard road. And then you layer on top of that being a woman and a Black person. Um, I found that dealing with almost a level of backlash or attack um, for coming into those spaces as a female and a black person, that that was going to be the hardest thing for me to manage against than say, um, you know, back in the day when I was growing, it was like women can't understand math or numbers or coding or technology. Right. And I'm like, please, those are just things to learn. Like I taught myself to code out of a book with a Commodore 64 in the you know late 70s, early 80s, <laughs> and then went on from there. Um, so I realized that a lot of the stuff that they were focused on, um, like, oh, we have to get women into more of the hard sciences or into math, um, was a distraction. Like, that wasn't the issue. The issue was the human issue mm. of competing at that level while you're relentlessly being attacked. Mm. And so that became my focus that, oh, like what I really need to focus on is my mental health um, and, and making myself ready 
for for what's to come, for the fire to come. And it came, <laughs> but I sure. didn't perceive it as hot as most people. So I was able to keep my sanity and nice. perform in the, the fire. But, you know, one of the things I'm struck by in what you say, Tiffany, is that you anticipated the fire. You anticipated it was going to be rough. You knew you were going to have some pain and suffering along with the the um, the journey to, to the dream. And because you did that, um, did it help? Did you ever freak out? Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, I, I, freaked, I freaked out even just last week when, you know, but like a boss, the book is a book, a TV show, a party and a movement. And we launched the show last Tuesday. Wow. And everything that, I mean, you're launching the show, right? We like, are. Everything that could happen, you know, with Gremlins, <laughs> things <laughs> going wrong, did. Yeah. Um, and it was the first time I was doing it. So as I was going live, I literally knelt and said the Lord's Prayer because the broadcasting platform wasn't working and people were messaging me like I thought the show was going live right now. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, I do freak out, but I did anticipate it. And that wasn't me being clairvoyant, right? It was me as a black female child born in the sixties near the tail end of Jim Crow. I found whenever I asserted my imagination, um, instead of people being like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Uh, they would punch me out of the sky. And I was like, hmm, wasn't expecting that. Um, and so I just decided to anticipate the punch. Yeah. Wow. And be ready. For, but you know so what? that it wasn't that's so that it didn't affect me or distract me as much for the destination that I was shooting for. And to accept that I can do all these things um, and I will probably get attacked you know, may or may not get attacked for it. Yes. Yes. That other people would literally get, like if I were a white male doing it, I would literally be revered and, and handed Applauded. more money and more opportunity because of what I did versus being attacked for it. Yes, of course. Well, that was the disparity probably some way still is. However, what I'm really struck by psychologically, mental health wise, is that, mm -hmm. um, you got the adversity, you, you ran into it always, but you maintain your dream and didn't get taken down by the negativity of the people around you trying to talk you out of it. And I think that's extraordinary is I think a lot of people have dreams and most of them get some kind of reverberation from the people around them saying, eh, you know, that's not really possible. You know, come on. I mean, I remember when I told my dad I wanted to have a speaking career, he said, they're going to pay you to talk. <laughs> he was just completely, <laughs> he said, I pay you not to talk, you know? So it's just, you know, you run into these things. There's no way around it. It's the handling of it. And you re reframed it. You became more confident, more committed. And so how in, did you do that inside yourself? Well, I think, and accepting it as part of the process was the first step. Sure. Because if you're trying to avoid something that just is, especially back then, then that's a path to insanity too. And so, um, you know, I have my, I had also developed 
uh, thanks to my mom, like a strong sense of faith, even as a kid. So I was obsessed with, uh, you know, I was brought up Christian. So I was obsessed with Jesus, like as a person, like in the things that he did as a, as a human being, Sure, you know, and, and started, um, say, you know, there was a part in the Bible where, uh, Jesus got out and walked on, they always call it Jesus walks on water. But my obsession was that Peter walked on water. And, and even still now, when I think about it, it, it gives me like the shivers because, um, I, it was an aha moment for me that like what Jesus was doing was giving us a roadmap to our potential, like that we were leaving so much on the table. Right. And the fact that Peter got out and walked on water and then lost it as soon as he looked down at the rough wars mm-hmm. and was like, Oh wait, I'm, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to do this. Right. Right. Even yeah. though he had doing it. Cause he doubted. And he so had doubt. Yeah. That was, the, that was like one of the pivotal moments for me as a child where I was like, Oh, I'm going to have a lot of, I want to walk on water with the idea, the dreams that I have. I want to travel the world. I want to start companies. I want to do tech, create just everything, right? As you see in my bio. In, um, yeah. Those are going to, I want to walk on water and what I'll do, and I can because I saw it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I read that I, I as a human being can do that. And what I'll do differently is I'll keep my eyes on God. Like I'm not going to look down on. So gotcha. that was also a guiding principle for me for my mental health. Your values, yeah. What, yeah, what if I don't have to carry the load? What if God does? What if I keep my eyes on God? Then what can I create? And what can I handle? And so really a, my whole story is really an act of faith, like with a capital F. You know, in some sense, everyone's story is that, you know, wherever you get your faith from, you know, but we all will be tested. There's I've never met anyone who starts out and goes linear, you know, just uphill with no no hesitations along the path. And at that moment of being tested, it's what what resources can you bring to to strengthen you? So let me talk about this. Okay, you um, do you think you're Career choice was a high risk field for maintaining mental health. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like guaranteed. Um, and I realized it more and more as I got into it. And the first time that I did a true startup, like a C corporations, we filed for patents. What was while I was still at university. Um, so I was 19. That was the first one strap backpack. Wow. Um, and you know, as I said, it, it just became obvious that this was going to be like between the sh- the sleep deprivation, the the uh, com- the stress from you know competing right. at a high level, like competing against other companies, manufacturing, customer care, <laughs> retailers, you know, all these mm. things, and then you layered on the race and the gender. Um, you know, I was like. So I know what you said about like the faith and everyone does that, but yet everyone doesn't because it's you, you get a chance to practice your faith when you literally have no idea what to do and everything is at such a high state mm-hmm. and you could lose your home or all these other things. Most people, that's the moment where you can really 
surrender and practice the faith. And for most people, it will be too hot. And part of the reason is because there is an aspect of rehearsing that the younger you start with it, which I did, then by the time you get to your 20s, you've pushed that line so far that it wasn't this huge gap for me to go for it with raising the $670 million because I had already pushed the line in so many (laughs) other ways leading up to that. And so I think the aspect of practice, rehearse, experiment, try is so important. And that I'll say, you know, for parents or for younger people listening to this, well, anyone of any age, but especially the younger you are, the more you try to pull your child back from the edge when they're younger and remove the opportunity of the experience of totally crashing and burning and having to rise back up, the more you limit them as adults. That is a very powerful statement. Because I think parents in many ways have flipped that around, that if we're going to be good parents, we have to shield them as much as we can. And maybe not, maybe not. Okay. So you seem very centered. You seem very grounded, mentally healthy. Can you tell us the specific things that, um, that keep you and still keep you clear headed? You stay clear headed. Yes. So. You know, I'd mentioned to you that um, I started to accept that this was going to be a huge part of the formula. I I say, you know, when I speak uh, publicly, that suffering is a price to pay, patience a virtue, and winning the best response. So, you know, you accept it as a price to pay as part of the equation. So then if it's part of the equation, how do I manage against it? Right. Right. Like say if I want to be an elite athlete and I want to make it to the Olympics and um, and win the gold medal. Well, I know I'm going to get sore. Like, you know, I know I'm going to have tons of inflammation, maybe some injury. Like there'll be a lot of physical and uh, physical suffering with, as well as emotional and mental. But let's stick with the physical part. Right. So I develop, you know, stretching. I develop sitting in ice baths, you know, all those things. Um, so I approached it that way. I was like, hmm, um, I could lose my sanity with this, and I don't want to, and I don't want to give it up. So work, I noticed, you know, because I'd been an athlete all the way up until Cornell, and then I stopped, um, and I was a uh, varsity crew, and I actually did rope. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good exercise. <laughs> but I had been an intense athlete you know, all the way up to there. Because once you get to varsity in college, either you're going to be a professional or literally go to the Olympics. And I knew that I wasn't going to go to that next thing. Um, But, you know, so I knew how working out and being physical made me feel, especially physical flow. So versus weightlifting, right? So rowing, uh, running, we were forced to run as part of our training program. I don't like running per se. <laughs> I don't do it as much now. Um, walking, swimming, yoga. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those flowy type things would manage against. Um, I was like, oh, I always feel better with that. So I schedule it in. I have for decades, like way before it was popular. Um, even with the pandemic, I converted my very large closet in my apartment 
into a hot yoga studio. Ah. And I get up 4.30 in the morning and I go through what I'm explaining to you right now. I do yoga, I'll meditate, I'll read spiritual texts right now. It's A Course in Miracles. I don't know if you know that. I do indeed. Yeah. Um, and so I'm rereading it yet again. Interestingly enough, it came into my life right after I raised the $670 million. Wow. Uh, that was like, so like in 96. Um, it's been it around a long time. Life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's been around since the seventies. Yeah. So I um, read it. And so I do all those things and I do them um, as like, you know, as if I'm training to go to the Olympics. And so I can't stop. It's not, you know, you do it for a moment and then you stop. stop. It is a yeah. part of my, you know, daily, weekly routine. And then I also close out the day by reading fiction. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I follow that way. Let me. Um, so it shifts me out of whatever my current reality is into this altered state that I then fall asleep into and then start again in the morning. What a wonderful routine. What I'm, what I'm struck by is that the physicality helps not only your centeredness in handling the adversity, but it gives you the energy to handle, you know, you take on the next tech challenge, you know, the next startup, the next creative idea. And um, I mean, that's not new. However, you know, I think a lot of people think that they have to sacrifice their mental health give up exercise to go for their dream of uh, creating whatever it is. Yeah. To that point. So I had a company that was 10 years old when we hit the great recession. And um, so let's see by 2008, eight, nine. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was like seven, eight years old when we hit the great recession, depending on when you think it's the Great Recession started, right? So we're going through it. Had so many fellow founders losing their companies and going through so much. Um, and we were just fighting like crazy to keep our company alive. So, you know, our hours of work had expanded. And um, in that moment, whenever I say to myself, I don't have time for yoga, I make myself do yoga literally five to seven days a week. Wonderful. You're inspiring me. Cause, yeah, because that's when you need it most. The, the other thing I want to add in is that because the, the mindset, imagination, mental health is the most important thing, like reality comes out of your mind. Um, and so if your mind isn't um, good, then your reality won't be good. Like whatever's happening external in your life is some reflection of what's going on in your mind. Yeah. I also have support groups. Um, like that's the best term for it. We don't necessarily call it <laughs> that. Right. Yeah. But like for the longest time, a uh, group of founders, like fellow founders and creators, um, it can change over time, but like we'll have regularly scheduled calls. Now they're Zooms, you know, every couple of weeks or, or once a month. The yep. way you would have, I'll speak as an entrepreneur, the way that you would have investor meetings or product meetings 
Um, because regardless, I know that the fire, the fear, anxiety, and panic are guaranteed more so than getting the next deal done, right? Like it's just guaranteed. So uh, would ha- proactively have at any given moment, some form of a support group. Yes. So you've, you've, you know, you've structured your life to have these things, to have the exercise support groups, to start with inspiration and well, end with imagination. I love that. That's the flow for the day. Um, Okay. Let me ask you one. I want to come to your book. Okay. In your book, Vote Like a Boss, the first chapter, oh, there it is. Good, good. is is titled A Cat. And the last page of the book is a single question. Is the cat alive or dead? What's up with the cat? (laughs) Tell me about the cat. Yeah. So, um, you know, Vote Like a Boss is a collection of essays and writings and poems, and um, it's a performance as well. So in the beginning of the year, I was performing it live on stage. And the performance um, and the book starts with a cat and ends with the question about whether the cat was, is alive or dead, and specifically Schrodinger's cat. Um, and so, you know, I start by... You know, I usually start when I'm performing saying, oh, you know, today we're going to talk about a cat, billionaires, uh, voting, maybe some persuasive storytelling, and we're going to end on unicorns. And then every, <laughs> by then I have everyone in the audience confused. And I say, let's start with the, the cat, right? Specifically Schrodinger's cat, that, that experiment, um, and it's a, you know, a thought experiment where uh, it, it tells you the power of your thoughts and your imagination that up until the moment that you open. So there's this cat in a box, right? And right. the question is, is the cat alive or dead? Right. Um, and up until the point that you open the box, the possibility is both. Like you hold literally the power of life and death of that cat just with your thoughts. So then the question is, what are, else are you creating and killing with your thoughts? Wow. Wow. Right? So then mm. I say, you know, say, I say, tell them about Schrodinger's cat. In the beginning, I say, and here's a few of mine. So then I share with them how I see the world, including, uh, uh, you know, my special performance that you guys have to see. Where I, I had a yeah. hair malfunction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then when I'm done with that, and I've dumped my imagination, my mindset, my mental state on them, I then ask them, "So, is the cat alive or dead?" Whatever that big dream is that you have, whatever you imagine for your life, like me in in the seventies, you know, late sixties, right. early seventies, yes. as a little black girl of Afropuffs. You know, are are you going to bring life to it or are you going to kill it? Wow. And if you're expecting to bring life to it, it means that first and foremost, you have to take your imagination and therefore your mental health seriously. Indeed. Yeah. Tell me the reference. Okay. I don't know the reference of Schrodinger's cat. What was that? Was it an experiment? Yeah. So Schrodinger's cat is you know, was this experiment 
done by the scientists and not to get into too much technicality around it, but the experiment that they found was in the possibilities of reality, if you have this cat in a box, depending on what the person thinks is the state of reality of that um, cat, it's yeah. the truth. So if you think the cat is alive, until you open the box, the cat is alive. If you think the cat is dead, then the cat is dead. And from that thought, you will literally start to behave against whatever that reality is in your mind. Right. So say, for example, if that's your favorite cat and it's in the box and you think the cat is dead, you don't know yet. Right. You haven't opened the box. Right. Exactly. You will get sad. Grieve. You will start to cry. You will have like a, like emotional reaction. You might do something impulsive, et cetera, from the thought of the cat. Right. Being dead. Exactly. And so until you verify something objectively, your thoughts are the truth. Of course. And what I'll say even further than that is that the story of your thoughts is the truth. Well, and, and it's, it's a wonderful um, illustration of the whole premise in mental health. The thoughts are things. Your thought is you're creating your reality and whatever you think or focus on, it, you, it gives you energy or takes it away. So your energy, you're yeah. energized by your thought or, or de-energized. If I walk around predicting what I'm going to want to do is not going to work, I'm going to feel sad and upset and anxious. If indeed I'm predicting that it will work and that I'm able to make that impact, that's going to energize me. And that what we focus on expands. We get more of it. So whoever's yeah. thinking the cat's dead and loves the cat is going through realms of grief inside of them until they find out, you know, that the cat's alive or vice versa. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating um, literal experiment. Because many people put on the glasses that are their, their thoughts or their beliefs, and they never change them. So wherever they well, thought... it goes beyond that, and this is, you know, part of me as a frontier tech entrepreneur, is that your thoughts, your mental health, your mental state is the most important thing because that's where reality is created from. Period. Yes. Right. Like I like to say, you know, Harriet had to imagine freedom before she took the first. Of course. Like no matter what it is, you don't just like do something randomly just out of the blue. You would have thought about it. Of course. You would have imagined it all the time. Even things like, you know, taking your shower and brushing your teeth. Right. Yes. So starts inside. Yeah. So if your mental health and mental state is for then your reality is for because first you'll think about it then you'll start talking about it to yourself and to others and then you start to create against it absolutely uh, i love that all right in many of your speeches you say products and companies don't fail people do talk to me more about that Okay, so products and companies don't fail, people do. So, you know, in my uh, space with VCs, and the numbers have gotten better, but you'll have these portfolios and you'll see 10%, 20% success rate, and then everything else 
uh, fails, you know, as far as the startups in the portfolio. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years, and I'll say no one's invented fire recently. <laughs> you know, even me as someone who's built and launched satellites with the startup, right? It's like no one's invented fire and people make millions of dollars off of cupcakes and cookies. Yeah. Like if you have any doubt um, that it's the person versus the product or the company, then you look at, you know, things like uh, Mrs. Fields cookies, oh. right? <laughs> like there are oh. chocolate chip cookies around forever and yeah. look how well she did or Georgetown Cupcakes mm-hmm. in DC, which has a TV show. And so my point with that is that it's, it's actually, you know, a lot of times people will think about mental health as far as like countering anxiety or depression or the source of happiness, but I will also say that mental health and and those soft skills or the, you know soft skills I consider them primary skills um, are a strong source of success. And I you know one of the ways that I can objectively uh, demonstrate that that's the case is that I've been an entrepreneur now and done startups for thirty something years. A lot of people, just like as a public speaker, right? A lot of people, I have this business idea. I'm going to start this where they've started. So people will come and go and do and not do and start and fail. Um, and it has nothing to do with the product. The products can be as simple as uh, cookies. So I, I have a, a friend of a friend who exited, you know, nearly $35, $40 million from cookies that they started baking at a, and selling initially at a farmer's market to, um, you know, large tech, new, you know, media platforms um, that were heavily funded and had celebrity investors that imploded on themselves. And so many times people are looking at the product or the company, but having been in the space for a while, I can tell you that there are common human factors yes. that for me, I'm like, oh, they're going to, like, I have a better sense that they're going to make it or not make it. And um, it goes to how people can handle stress and uncertainty uh, and frustration. Do they have other people around to collaborate with, like co-founders or even interns, right? Like just other people, they're not yeah. putting themselves in like Because of the mental health aspect. You know, so one area of mental health that's, uh, that I wish people would study more because then it would be taken more seriously is uh, for the U.S., the impact on the bottom line. Because so many times when people are having, companies are having issues, it's a collective mental health issue that is um, instigated by the corporate culture. Interesting. Yes, of course. In some sense, the um, uh, the looking at and stressing money, money, money versus people, 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 you know, and that that could, of course, lead to um, what I call self sabotage, you know, or corporate sabotage. Hopefully, self sabotage at the individual level, department level, and corporate the level. corporate level because yep. everything is just a collection of people whether it's product or technology is like there there's people behind it that are doing it. Of course. Of course. 
Now, the most fun I had with listening to you was when you talked about one of your inspiring characters. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us all about it. Hermione Granger. <laughs> Harry Potter. Yes. Yes, I love Harry Potter. Ah, I do too. I even have uh, Harry Potter-inspired glasses. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> when I was getting reading glasses a couple of years ago, I was like, what glasses do you have that sort of look like Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at me because I'm a grown ass woman. And like for a child, I'm like, no, for me, let's try them on. Oh, I love it. All right. So tell me about the magic of Hermione for you. Well, in my industry, they talk a lot about the unicorn. Do you know that saying like, he's I a do. unicorn, she's a unicorn? Yes, yes. Uh, for you, do you know it or don't? I do. Yeah. Yeah, you do, right? Yeah. And, and but tell so everybody. As people started to use that term uh -huh. um, because when I started out as an entrepreneur, this is another reason why the mental health was important. Uh, there was no reverence. Um, no one cared, right? It was be like, get a real job. Right. Kid, right. Um, and so over time, in the, in the course of my career, it became popular. And then these terms would pop up like unicorn. And when I would first hear it, I'm like, someone who is not a founder or is someone who never did a startup created that term because, you know, there's so much suffering with uh, being an entrepreneur, especially if you're going to get to the level where you've gone public or you've played in the billions uh, space like I have. You know, there it's it's self determination. It's like uh, you know, self management, self leadership. Not um, it, it's a lot of uh, practice and putting in the time. Not magically appearing in a forest with a horn, you know, <laughs> out of the middle of your head, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's um, it's not an indirect experience. It's a very direct, self led experience it's not a passive experience yes. you know what i mean yes I do. And, and whenever you you know hear about unicorns in most stories it's a passive sighting and they have unicorn parents so it's like you can't just be right you can't make yourself a unicorn right exactly and so i never related it to that term and i actually don't like it um instead i've been advocating for hermione to be <laughs> the role model for entrepreneurs um, and for those entrepreneurs that, you know, rise to the top of the class. Right. Because most of the time you're told you're a muggle and you don't have magic. And instead you decide, you know, first in your mind and then in your words and actions and deeds that you do have magic. And not only do you have magic, but you're the, the best sorceress in the school. Yes, yes, yes. So when you're channeling your inner Hermione, what do you use? Do you have uh, any, um, I don't know, implementations? Do you have any physical help that you whip out and show to make it happen? <laughs> well, well, how much time do we have left? I'll perform the poem. Okay, well, go go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, please. I love it. Yeah, so the, the poem is called Hermione Rising. Um, in your book, it's actually, yeah, it's actually the last 
uh, main chapter of the book. So the book, the last two main chapters of the main section are titled That Unicorn. <laughs> and, then, um, and then the final chapter of the main section is Hermione Rising, the poem. Okay. So this is something you wouldn't do if most writers would do, but I'm going to give away the end. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yay. Well, we're all going to buy that book anyway. So go ahead. Yes, exactly. Um, so the, well, this is the podcast. I've never performed it on a podcast. Before, there you go. So this will be the podcast premiere of Hermione Rising. Nice. I imagine, I imagine something new, something different. I imagine a better way, something disruptive and innovative, used and revered, demanded and paid for, something transformative. Imagination, why do we deny it and discount it? It's the source of all innovation. Einstein was theoretical, not applied. Da Vinci, an artist and a scientist. George Washington Carver, no vision, no hope. And Harriet, well, Harriet had to imagine freedom before she took the first step. I have a dream of traveling space, of curing cancer, of running for office, of peace, unity, equality, and equity. You get what I'm saying? It's not about the how, it's about the why, the sense of purpose. No need to teach imagination, just endorse it. And with grace, give space for it. It's not to be packed away. It should be on display in schools and offices and podcasts, <laughs> a priority among the others. Serious vote for tinkering and sketching and making and for play. Forcing memorization of someone else's prior imagination is not the way. The recipe gives space to extend and expand the concept through empathy and understanding, through diversity and collaboration and embrace for imagination in the case of them all. The more minds that imagine together, the more innovation blossoms. The more diverse these minds, the taller it grows. And if it's fueled by love and understanding, it thrives and soars. We are seven billion strong brothers and sisters. We can do anything unless we fight each other. Go human or go home, daydream. <laughs> You are our future game changers. Your place is at the top of the class. Take out your wand <laughs> and cast the spell of I want that. It's okay if it's messy. Reality is always messy. Screw up and then rise up. Wield the magic of hope and faith. And know that the world may attack your genius now, but love you for it later. Hermione is rising and her power is limitless. And because of God's grace, so is yours. At this moment in time, I pray more than anything that you will use it for the greater good. And vote. God believes in you. Do you believe in yourself? Wow. I got goosebumps, Tiffany. I really do. Yay! Yay! <laughs> that, is, that is extraordinary. Wait, so much better than a unicorn, right? It's so much better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. Magic. We all love magic, don't we? And we've, we've distanced ourselves from magic. So we need to come back to it. We need to find that 
inner Hermione. And, you know, I love the wand. I mean, I want to get a wand and I want to go tap, tap every morning. I have two of them. Oh, <laughs> tap, tap on my mirror. I wish. Well, you know, we grew up with the stories, right? You know, the tap, the tap of the magic wand. You. Can I make a confession? Huh? Sure. I have a dream mm. of uh, one day having a whole line of uh, wands that's part of Tibetan. Good. Good, good. Let and me you know. just keep them on your desk. They may have zero utility. Like, it's not like they're going to be a pen or anything. Just for you to, like, cast a few spells. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me cast a spell on you. You are terrific. I have heard hundreds and hundreds of speakers in my life and you touch every, every part. Thank you so much. Thank you for being you. Thank you for sharing you and your dream with us. I don't know about you guys, but I am blown away with Tiffany Norwood. My goodness, what a woman. I mean, all the adversity, all the, all the stress and and issues she had as a black woman, entrepreneur, building businesses, and that she kept her mental health, she kept her spirit, and she shared with us, I hope you, you know, I'm sure you heard, the wonderful poem she wrote about Hermione and Rise Up. So thank you so much. We'll be back with some other extraordinary guests uh, in our next podcast. So come back. We love you. We want you. Stop self-sabotage. Hot Pie Media. Thanks you. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.